Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Before we get into the podcast this week, I just want to thank everybody who's been listening out there. If you ever have any questions or comments or concerns, please feel free to email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com. We've been getting good ratings and good feedback so far for the episodes. This is number 13. Makes me very happy. So keep them coming, and it's good to see the audience growing, and I'm really excited. And with that, let me introduce my co-host this week. Local restaurant consultant, Nathan Ketchum. Nathan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Let's start with the news of the week, our first segment. I think no bigger news in the last week than that change is coming to the airline farmer's market. It's, it's called the Houston farmer's market, although I don't know how many Houston farmers actually sell produce there anymore. But the airline market on six ten at six ten, the Caninos market more colloquially. There's an ambitious plan by a company called MLB Capital Partners that's going to transform the market that is mostly mostly for produce, some spices, some eclectic goods into a destination retail environment. In line with markets like the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia the Pike's Place Market in Seattle, the Borough Market in London, Chris Shepard and Kevin Floyd, the partners at Underbelly and One-Fifth are leading the culinary side. They're going to be recruiting the vendors that will make up the new phase of this market. And the interesting thing is the market will remain open during the construction. It's going to get new bathrooms, new landscaping, new parking, better traffic flow so that you're not dodging 18 wheelers and forklifts when you're trying to buy tomatoes. It's a comprehensive plan. The market's going to remain open. They want to keep the vendors in place. That's one of the goals of this project. Caninos has already signed on. They're going to stay. The spice vendor that everybody loves at that market has signed on. He's going to stay. And then the rest of that is sort of TBA at this point. But Nathan, I know you're a fan of markets like this in other cities. I know you've traveled some and visited some of these other markets. For people who maybe haven't been to one, what about these markets makes them special? Well, it's the kind of the thought of having everything in one place. Um, along with, you know, there's there's kind of a commercial aspect. There's a retail aspect. Um, you know, and... and Pike's Place in Seattle, it's kind of an international destination. Obviously, it's known for the throwing of the fish, which they, they, don't, they don't, don't do that often, but it's a big show when they do it. They have a huge fish market. There's some produce. There's uh, several floors of kind of knickknacks and like gift shoppy type stuff. Uh, obviously, they're lucky enough to have a beautiful view of the bay. Um, but it's a really cool place. It's fun. There's some, some food. There's a couple of restaurants. It's just a really cool place to hang out and get all your shopping done. And it's kind of like a day out type of destination thing at the same time. So it's more than just going, hey, let's go to the farmer's market. It's, hey, let's go to the farmer's market, the butcher's market, the fish fish place, and let's get spices all at the same time. And let's do it all in one, one place. Yeah, bringing in the necessary plumbing and 
sanitary requirements to add things like a butcher shop and a fishmonger. That's one of the goals for this project. Air conditioning the the building so that it's a more comfortable place to shop. There's been a lot of pushback, certainly in the, the Facebook comments of the Culture Map article and elsewhere on social media, that we people like the market the way it is and they don't want it to change. I feel like in Houston, you know, change is constant. I mean, I, I know that's true in, in other cities, but but there's something particularly Houstonian about taking something that's old and changing it and upgrading it and improving it with some regard for its history, but not always a lot of regard for its history. I'm very excited about what this could mean for the Canino market, for what it could mean as a food destination, a place that I want to visit more regularly than I, I visit the Canino market. And as a tourist destination, you know, we have a lot of restaurants in this town, but maybe not, you know, a, a symbol or a one place where if you're coming to this town specifically for food that you would go as like a must visit destination. And I like that aspect about it. What do you think of these plans and where do you kind of stand on whether the Canino market is the right place for this sort of transformation? You know, I think it's an interesting idea. I, I think they might be underestimating the pure cost of it. They're saying eight to 10 million um, for everything that they're saying to do. I'm not sure that's going to be enough money, but they, they will need to bring in um, somebody like Air, airline seafood um, or they'll, they'll need to bring in a really cool, unique butcher Somebody who does, you know, waddle pig. Somebody who can bring in um, maybe like a, a local cheesemonger. Maybe a, maybe a few of them. I think bringing in um, local local uh, cultures. Uh, you know, maybe a, a Vietnamese aspect, a Chinese aspect, um, kind of a Creole aspect, and kind of showcasing them would be really unique. Uh, one of the things I am a little interested, slightly worried about, is the location. If you look at Reading or, or Pike's Place or uh, Borough Market or or any of these really popular food halls or things like that, um, the Pittsburgh Market, they're all in kind of a downtown central area, somewhere where people are going to be already. Obviously, downtown's growing, and you know it's not necessarily that here in Houston, but to have it in kind of a, a I'm not going to say a far off place, but not necessarily one where uh, people are there every day, anyways. It, it going to make it a little bit harder they're really going to have to make it a destination instead of um, having it be a place where people are going to be like hey let's just go there and then kind of naturally build it into a destination it's going to have to be destination worthy immediately yeah and you know certainly the population in the heights has grown and it's changed a lot over the last 10 or 15 years garden oaks is growing oak forest is growing the other thing about it being at the north side of the loop near the intersection with 45 is that I could even see people coming in from spring from the woodlands. You know, basically it'll be about a half an hour drive for them. And there's nothing quite like that up north either. I, I could see it being an appeal there. The other thing that will be, I think the other, the other reason I'm sort of optimistic about this is that, you know, you talk about, I want to have a Vietnamese element. I want to have a, Hispanic element. I want to have a Creole element. You know, Chris Shepard is someone who's done very well incorporating those elements into his own cooking at Underbelly and paying homage to those people with the chef tours that he's led, 
with the work that he's done to promote the city for visiting food writers and television personalities. He has a, obviously a very deep relationship with Urban Harvest. He's underbelly buys a ton of local produce. So if there is one person who can bring some of these elements together in one place, I am optimistic that Chris Shepard is that person. Yeah, I'd agree. He definitely has a love for the local cultures and kind of making sure that they get their shout outs and that they're well known, not only here in Houston, but across the country, which is greatly appreciated. I do want to make sure that, um, you know, it's not it's not a, a melting pot of cultures. I, I'd like that each culture is highlighted and has their, their due and it's not like a giant melting pot. It's, you know. Yeah, we don't want it to be Epcot Center. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't. You know, it needs to be authentic versions of these cuisine made by the people who make it, right? We don't we don't necessarily want, you know, a chefy take on a banh mi or even, you know, more obscure Vietnamese food, more traditional Vietnamese food. We want we want the actual thing. Like instead of going to Bel Air, we can just go there and get it. So how that comes together obviously remains to be seen, you know, in terms of the cheesemonger dairy maids is right down the street. So it's easy to imagine that they will have a presence there, but you know, for all of the, for all of the reticence that I've seen on social media, count me as someone who's optimistic about the prospects for this. Yeah. The reticence I think comes from, Oh, it's been around so long. They're going to change it. They're going to ruin it. But you know, it, it, like you said, this is Houston. Things change. Um, while I do think there's certain things that shouldn't change in Houston, uh, a farmer's market that frankly doesn't serve local produce isn't really one of them. Right. Is there one thing that you feel like the market has to include? Um, Really cool food stalls for local chefs to kind of showcase their talents without spending a fortune I think would be something that I would really look forward to. I don't know if it's something that um, has to happen, but I think it's something that other cities do really well that uh, when a chef either loses a job or loses an opportunity, they can go showcase their talents for a few months without signing a three-year lease and they can uh, cook some amazing food until they have another opportunity or they can do it forever. Yeah. So all of that, very much TBA where, you know, the, the process is going to have to go through finishing its design and it's going to have to go in for permits. So realistically, we're six to nine months away from construction even starting. And then the whole process is going to take three years. So vendor announcements and all that is still a ways away, but it's a story that Culture Map got a tremendous response on. I know other media outlets did too. And it's something I will be following very closely over the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Um, it could be a, a big game changer for Houston, for sure. All right, well, let's move on. Farmers markets weren't the only thing dominating the conversation over the last week. There's been a lot of burger news. None more significant, perhaps, than that there's finally some fire to all the in-and-out smoke that we've had for the last couple of years. They bought a piece of property on Westheimer, in-and-out, is probably coming to Houston. Their their corporate people won't confirm a timeline. They won't. They're they're very reticent. They're like, this is just the beginning of the process. 
it could be a year or more, but finally we, we can at least put an address on these rumors that they're coming to Houston. Nathan, I think of you as an in and out fan. Is that correct? Um, you know, I'm married to a California woman, so I'm, I guess I'm, I have to be somewhat of an in and out fan. Yeah. You have to preserve peace in the family. Where does it rank for you in terms of just fast food burgers? I think the burger itself is pretty good. Um, I'm not going to say it's, I guess for pure fast food, it's, the burger itself is pretty good. The fries are terrible. Uh, the, some of the worst fries, even for fast food fries, imaginable. Um, the, the potato whitening starch they use just ruins the fries. The, the, the shakes they have are pretty good. Um, the burgers, good. Fries, just abysmal. Shakes, good. So I guess I'd give it a B. Right. So what do you give Whataburger? Because that's been the whole conversation since this news broke is, you know, they can't hang in a Whataburger town. Obviously, In-N-Out is already in Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, and Waco. So they're perfectly comfortable competing with Whataburger. The location on Westheimer is not that far from a Whataburger. I'd have to think about exactly where the closest Whataburger is, but. So I saw someone say that they they found in and out found the perfect spot because it's in a Waterburger hole. It's it's like two miles away from the closest Waterburger, which is like very far for Houston. But uh, consider Waterburger is a, a really good Texas concept uh, in terms of burger. I don't think their plain burger is that great to be honest. But what Waterburger's charm is the fact that. There's a thousand different ways to customize your burger. Everybody gets it the way they want. In and out, everybody talks about animal style, which is just putting a bunch of crap on the burger. Um, uh, what? It's fried in mustard and topped with onions. I think is that. I, I don't even remember it. I tried it. I liked plain burger better. Okay. But water burger, everybody, you know, you have your your a one thick and hearty. You have your top it with uh, jalapenos. You have there's like a thousand different styles. There's Texas toast. There's grilled onions. We could almost play a game where I name a Whataburger topping and then you name a Whataburger topping and we go until we run out, but we're not going to do that because that's not good radio. Yeah, no, it would take the entire show. It would take longer than the entire show. They have the you've been out Whataburger slogan. Uh, that's what makes Whataburger so special is everybody gets the Whataburger they want. And that's why I think people, Texans, like Whataburger better than In-N-Out because they have that burger that's the perfect burger for them. It's special to them. And that's why I think In-N-Out is having trouble in Texas because they serve a burger where Whataburger serves what people want. Well, and Whataburger serves taquitos and sausage biscuits and those chicken fingers with the gravy. I mean, there's really no end to the Whataburger options. And and In-N-Out is basically a pure burger joint. Yeah, they're the other half to Chick-fil-A. Right. And they it's probably no coincidence they will be very close to a Chick-fil-A in the location they selected on Westheimer. Yeah, they actually work, um, from what I understand, they work with uh, Chick-fil-A's corporate team sometimes to, to try to open up right next door to each other because they not only do they uh, have similar corporate structures and corporate beliefs, but they um, they neither one serves the thing that the other does, so they like, they like to open up right next door to each other. Okay, well, I don't want to linger too much. Let's move on. Hopdotty announced that their fourth location will be in the Heights. By my count, that means that there will be six dedicated burger restaurants in the Heights in the next year or so. Stop me if I've missed any. 
Bernie's Burger Bus is right about to open on Yale Street. There's the Bex Prime on 19th and Yale that's been there for a really long time. Hubcap Grill on 19th west of Durham. That's three. The Burger Joint is coming. Balls Out Burger opened a couple months ago. Their owner, Ian Tucker, will be my guest on the podcast next week. And I feel like I'm missing one. What am I missing? Hop Dottie. Hop Dottie. Right. Hop Dottie. Hop Dottie will have at least, and Bernie's. So Hop Dottie is coming into a market where it's going to have five competitors within a mile or so. It has done very well, the Austin-based Burger Import has done very well at River Oaks District. It's doing well at Rice Village. This feels like maybe a little bit of a mistake to me. I was already reticent in the fact that they were they would open three in the city itself, let alone four, you know, opening the, they have the fourth in uh, Vintage Park. Um, I don't believe they even have three in Austin itself. No, surely they must. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar enough to... to I can only think of they have the one in South Congress and the one in uh, uh, over by the Shake Shack. Yeah, and I think there's one like uh, kind of in North Austin. There, there's at least three in Austin. Okay, so there, there's three, but three, three in Houston, especially opening this quick, and then Houston has so many burger restaurants, and then to open up um, this third one in the city, in the Heights just in this like burger war zone is crazy. Uh, I hop Dottie may come out of it, but uh, I'll at least two restaurants are going to close. Well, I have an interesting, I thought Justin Turner, the owner of Bernie Bernie's burger bus told me something interesting in an article I published last week, which is he understands that people, different burger restaurants serve different burgers. I know that sounds obvious, but stay with me. People crave those different burgers at different times. So what he said is, look, I understand. If you want a Shake Shack-style burger, go to Shake Shack or go to FM Kitchen or go to Burger Joint, you know, those places that do the thin patty diner-style burger. When you want a thicker patty with more creative toppings, if you want to, when you want a Bernie's burger, I want you to come to Bernie's. And all I care about is that I'm in your burger rotation and – I think Hopdotty can crack people's burger rotation because it's such a holistic dining experience. The sides are good. The shakes are good. The cocktails are good. They have all these different protein options. So I feel like, and it's, and it's proven to be so successful elsewhere that I don't think Hopdotty is, is going to be one of the losers in this coming Heights burger battle. Yeah. And I feel like, um, Justin's being a little extra positive right there thinking that people eat burgers twice a week. Um, thin patty once and, and the thick patty another. Um, but I mean, let, let's, let's see. Bernie's is a, a thick patty with fancy toppings. So is burger joint. So is hop daddy. Um, well, no burger joint is like, like four ounce patty. It's like a thinner, but it's not, it's not in the thin shake shack style either. And it has the fancy toppings. So, right. Well, that's, it's true. kind of an in between. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting burger joint has such, you know, it opened, they did a great job in their branding. They did a great job in their design um, and they just destroyed it. They're going to be a hard one to beat in terms of their their local love. People love them. They do a great job. 
they're gonna. I think if they open, obviously, I don't. Then they have they haven't hard started construction. Yet. Yeah, I mean, the last time I drove past that property, it's going to be on Shepherd and Twentieth. There were no signs of life, so I I don't know what the status of that is. I'm I'm told it's very much still happening. It's just working its way through permits. Well, they might wait for a couple people to kill each other first. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting setup. I think Hopdotty Hopdotty is corporate. They have a lot of a lot of funds behind them. Um, obviously, there's Balls Out Burger. Um, they've they've been open for a month or so now. Yeah, a couple of months now. Um, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, this is Houston. People eat a lot of burgers. Maybe all of them will do well. Uh, but I think that's uh, that's pie in the sky ideology. If you think six separate burger restaurants within a what mile of each other will will succeed. All right. Well, we will we will let the Heights Burger battle play out. Uh, I'm going to move on. Long Sing Supermarket, uh, the last vestige of old Chinatown. When, when before Edo was Edo, it was old Chinatown. Uh, the supermarket, primarily known for its lunch counter, where you can get barbecue pork, roast pork, duck, you know, old school red pork hanging from a, a, hanging from a hook in the kitchen. You can get two meats and vegetables and rice for six bucks. The restaurant announced last week that it's closing soon. I, I don't really know that there's a whole lot to say about this other than that this was kind of this has been an under the radar favorite of restaurant industry people for a long time. And so if you've missed this news somehow, you only have a few days left to get to Long Sing for one last rice plate. It is also it was jokingly named the Rice Box by David Bureau of Greenway Coffee and John Peterson of the Rice Box. Obviously he named his quickly growing Chinese food empire after it. I don't, I don't know that I have a whole lot to say about it other than I'm going to miss it. Yeah. Um, it's most industry people have known that it's been for sale for at least a year. So it's kind of, people have known that it's happening. Um, but I mean, most industry people have had a, a great meal or two there. So it's kind of uh, one of the things that'll be missed, uh, miss really good, cheap, fun food. Yeah. Really cheap, really good. You know, the kind of food that Houston has always really excelled at, but is maybe going away a little bit, is, especially in the loop, is some of these concepts. As the real estate gets more expensive and people move on. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Let's jump into Restaurants of the Week. You and I had a preview of Ellis Brothers Barbecue at State Fair. This is the new barbecue project from... Lee Ellis and Jim Mills at Cherry Pie Hospitality. They have hired a pitmaster, Gilbert Aris Mendez. I hope I'm Gilbert. I apologize if that's not how you say your last name. He's he's a competition pitmaster. He's worked at restaurants in both Houston and Austin. He was briefly associated with Smoke and Honey's House, and now he's working for Lee and Jim. Nathan, what did you think of our Ellis Brothers barbecue experience? So I've had uh, the Ellis Brothers barbecue twice now. Um, the first time, I believe, was the first day that they started serving their barbecue, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, and then, obviously, this last uh, maybe half a week ago, a few days ago, the the jump in quality in just a week was was pretty evident. It was it was drastic. Uh, first time I had it, the the brisket was a little little pot roasty little had been sitting in the box a little too long uh 
and under-seasoned were, a little bit was was my first impression of it. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. The the ribs were good, um, but the second time the ribs were again very good. The brisket I thought was was very good. Um, yeah, it was seasoned well. It had it had more black pepper on the rub. It fat was well rendered. I thought the brisket came out well. I thought the ribs were solid. I feel like I feel like they're onto something. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll take too long for them to really get up into competing with some of the big boys. They're still not quite there yet, but I mean, they're they're trying to, you know, they're they're not in their brick and mortar yet. They're they're serving out of a whole nother restaurant, which means they have to contend with you know cooking in someone else's kitchen, trying to hold it in a completely different way. So for them to do that, it is uh, served a pretty good barbecue, and then we we got to experience uh, a really unique barbecue sandwich that i really enjoyed yeah so one of cherry pie's other concepts is lee's fried chicken and donuts and they have started serving chopped biscuit on a donut bun they don't put a hole in it so the barbecue doesn't leak out the bottom but sweet savory fatty smoky they put a little sliced jalapeno on it to give it some kick it was very good it was surprisingly good yeah, well, they take the the donut and they, uh, it's a instead of just a regular glazed donut, it's a chili glazed donut. Um, it was very good. It, I I kind of you know you roll your eyes at the thought of a, a barbecue sandwich on a donut bun, but um, you should roll your eyes with how freaking good it tasted because it was that good. Well, and I will say this brings better barbecue to a part of town in the Memorial area. It doesn't really have it. I've said on the podcast before, there's no good barbecue west of Regal's on Voss. So if you're in Memorial or the Energy Corridor, your options are really limited. State Fair, uh, Ellis Brothers Barbecue definitely gives that area something that's missing. Lee said he is busily looking for a permanent home for the concept. And knowing Lee, he's going to pull the trigger on something sooner than later. Yeah, they're serving... uh barbecue plates and uh, sandwiches at state fair every day for lunch. And then they're serving the barbecue at uh, Lee's fried chicken and donuts every weekend. Right. Right. So, you know, if you're inside the loop and you don't want to commit to Gester and I 10, you know, check out Lee's fried chicken and donuts on the weekends. They will have the pop up there. It's a tent. It's accessible. It's not crazy expensive for what you get. And it's one of those things where you can kind of taste what's coming in Houston barbecue, which brings me to my second restaurant of the week, Patrick Fegis, uh, a chef whose career I followed since he was at Underbelly. Then he went to Killen's barbecue and then he was the sous chef at Southern goods. He and his wife, Aaron Smith Fegis are working on opening a restaurant of their own. And Patrick is doing a series of barbecue pop-ups at holler brewing on Edwards street, just off of Washington Avenue. On Sundays, I had the chance to try that. I think Patrick's really onto something. Patrick's been making barbecue for a few years now, but I think what I ate last weekend was maybe the best barbecue I've ever had from him. He did pork ribs in a Korean barbecue glaze that were spicy, smoky, sweet a little bit, not not too much. Uh, smoked chicken in Alabama white sauce. He's obviously known for whole hog, but that's kind of a special occasion thing. And a real classic Texas brisket he had, boudin. You know, it feels like Patrick, who is a a talented 
cook and a good chef is really coming into his own by incorporating that training with being a pit master. It bodes well for the future of Fuji's Barbecue. They are busily looking for the right place to open. Uh, a lot of rumors flying around about where that's going to be and how quickly that's going to happen, but I expect news on that soon based on what I'm hearing. They wouldn't they wouldn't confirm anything. I tried to get them to go, but they wouldn't go. They wouldn't they wouldn't give it up. Yeah, there's a few rumors, a couple maybe maybe a surprise or two there, but uh I think uh, I think in the long run they're going to they're going to have a really interesting concept that's going to come out of whatever they do. I mean, you've got two trained chefs, both of them incredibly talented. Patrick's also an incredibly talented uh, pit pitmaster. I think they they could open a really cool, really interesting restaurant. Yeah, and a restaurant that incorporates both traditional Texas barbecue, pays some nods to other regions barbecue like you did with that chicken, and then, you know, Erin is a, a valued, talented chef in her own right. She won an episode of Chopped. She ran Main Kitchen at the JW Marriott downtown. So whatever her contribution is to the menu, whether it's sauces, sides, desserts, or entrees even, the two of them together, just it's very exciting. That's, that's really maybe the most exciting future project in barbecue that I've got my eyes on and something we will be following for a while. All right, that does it for Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. I will be right back with Carrie Atar and Edel Goncalves from Fielding's Restaurant. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown, open eight days a week, as they like to say. It's a great place to go uh, if you're going to an Astros game or a Dynamo game. It's a great place to go before the game, have a couple of beers, maybe a bite to eat from the Eatsy Boys food truck that's always parked on site. You know, beat the, uh, beat the stadium prices for both beer and food while having a great local product. You know, certainly I have drank more than my fair share of Dome Foam, their cream ale, and Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. But the fun thing about going to the brewery is that there's always something new to try, whether it's Haterade, their Goza, whether it's Weisstimer, the Hefeweizen, or the IPA, their double IPA that comes into their relatively hefty 8.8% ABV. So thank you to Eighth Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. My guests this week are Carrie Atar and Chef Adol Gonsalves from Fielding's Restaurant Group. If you're an interloop snob and you never travel north, you may not have heard of Fielding's, but you should. If Fielding's Wood Grill, the three restaurants, well, two restaurants in the Woodlands, soon to be three. Fielding's Wood Grill, uh, a better burger joint in the Hop Dottie style. Fielding's Local Kitchen and Bar, a Mediterranean-inspired, eclectic restaurant with a great bar program and a banging patio. And then Fielding's Rooster, the new restaurant slated to open August 7th that will be chicken, but not fried chicken? Well, actually, yes, fried chicken. We'll have chicken at least three different ways since you bring it up, Eric. <laughs> All right, that's Carrie. And then, Chef Adel, why don't you say hi, too? Hey, hi, Eric. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Uh, Carrie, 
why don't we kind of start with you? I know you had kind of an eclectic career in the grocery business. You were one of the primary forces behind Hubble and Hudson when that restaurant was both a grocery store and a restaurant. How did you get into the restaurant business and, and when did you sort of decide to leave Hubble and go out on your own? You know, that's a long, long, long diatribe. So I'll condense yeah, we, we it down. We want the two-minute version of that. Right, exactly. So I started to cook when I was about 12 or 13 because my mother, God rest her soul, was an absolutely amazing mom and, and a great person and, I mean, could not cook at all. So I had three brothers and I had to cook for them. And uh, we had a nanny and she couldn't cook. She was really horrendous. And she was a challenging person aside from that. But uh, that's how I learned to cook. And I've been in the grocery and food business my whole life with about two minutes in the hotel business. And uh, in all fairness, uh, Adele started Hubble and Hudson with me. And it's as much part of that founding as me and several other people. And then after Hubble and Hudson and I parted ways back in 2012, we started the Fieldings Project. And the first call I made was to Chef Adele. And then, Chef, I know you're French trained. Yes. French born? Yes. How did you wind up in America? But uh, I want to just say about um, my French background. My, uh, my parents are actually Portuguese and uh, immigrate in France in the 60s. So I was, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant anywhere I go, in Portugal, France, you know, United States. You're a Mediterranean then, mutt. You a, got a it. Romance language uh, hodgepodge. Yeah. And he does speak many languages, which is I terrific do. I speak for four us. four languages. Um, anyway, so I was born, yeah, born in France, in Paris, 14th district, actually. was uh, I grew up in France most of... Uh, I spent most of my uh, childhood in France, in Paris, uh, went through the French culinary system. So I did an apprenticeship at the age of 15 uh, and work. Um, most, of, most of my experience in France was actually through Michelin star restaurants. Uh, some of them was uh, the Plaza Athenée in Paris. I worked with uh, uh, Jacques Maxima, uh, which was uh, uh, the youngest uh, best worker of France at the time he was, uh, uh, he got that uh, diploma. And uh, came, to, came to Houston in 1998. Uh, I actually, I came through, yeah, Mr. Uh, Frederick Perrier. I don't know if you know him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or a brasserie. And Correct. Hogs and, and Chicks. Hogs and Chicks in uh, Sugarland, right? Yeah. And I right. heard he's working on something new even. He may have. He's always he may working have some on tricks something up his new. Sleeve. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he actually the one who brought me here in Houston. I uh, I worked at Grill Fifteen and Fifteen for about two years. Opened Cafe Perrier with him. Um, then went on Open Rouge, which was uh, back on Westheimer. I was a chef partner back then, and um, and then I made a move to uh, to the grocery business, and that's where I uh, I met Kerry at Central Market in two thousand five, and then uh, from then we opened Hobo Nutson two thousand eight. And fieldings in 2012. So I, I saw wild gesticulations when I described fieldings wood grill as a hot body style better burger concept. Well, <laughs> let me let me just say they're not wild gesticulations, but I mean hot body is a different concept. I mean it's an amazing, awesome concept. We love it. Uh, wood grill is a very chef driven concept, and so uh, 
there are similarities, right? I mean, they make their bread, we make our bread. They make their ice cream, we make our ice cream. We cook over Texas pecan and oak. They do a, a griddle burger. We use 44 Farms Texas beef. They use, I believe, uh, a, a, a Irish cattle or an English or Scottish. They use Scottish cattle over there, so it's a little different. And we're not, while I would tell you that it is, uh, burgers are the heart of it, Wood Grill's menu is diverse. I mean, we have five or six salads. We've got steaks. We've got a rotisserie that just produces the most amazing rotisserie chicken, and which was the genesis for this concept that we're doing now, although Adele came up with the idea to do a chicken concept. And so but, I think you know, it's a good it's, – it's kind of a spin-off, really. Yeah. yeah and no, yet, it, yet it's its we'll own child. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. I just yeah. kind of want to walk through the individual concepts. One right. And then the only other thing I would say, and then I'll let it go, is that – Wood Grill is a full service, you know, if, if, and, and Adele, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost a gastro pub. You know, I mean, we've got TVs going and we've got just very chef driven food and the menu's dynamic and we have a seafood program. So it's really much more than just burgers, although burgers are the heart of that menu. Yeah. Well, and that it's full service is the most important thing that it, that separates it from Hop Dotty is there's no line. Right. There's no you know, line. There's no line snaking out the door. Which right. Is, very important. It's been a very successful concept. I, I think that's fair to say. It has. I mean, uh, once we get the guests there, many of the times we see them come back. I mean, Nathan's certainly been there. And, you know, uh, in the woodlands, I think it occupies rarefied air. Um, and the woodlands is different than Houston, obviously. And uh, But we have people who come up from Houston and the Bloody Mary and the MOSA program has been great and the culinary program has been great and it's been recognized. Yeah, I mean, I've ranked it as one of the best burgers in Houston and, and certainly I'll never say no to any restaurant that wants to serve me boozy milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have a few of those. You opened local kitchen and bar in the Creekside neighborhood a couple of years ago, right? Uh, September 2015. It was actually August, August 2015. So it's about two so years. So almost two. Two years, yeah. exactly. Two mm -hmm. years from, from today, yeah. And I really think of that concept. I mean, I wood grill is defined maybe by its grill at least, mm -hmm. but there's a wood oven at mm -hmm. local kitchen that, that defines a lot of the cuisine. There's mm -hmm. pizza, there's homemade pastas, there's an eclectic array of proteins. But, mm -hmm. you know, from speaking to people who live in that neighborhood, I think it's really the bar that kind of defines that concept would you would you agree with that assessment or how do you how do you feel about the role the bar plays so i'm going to talk first i'm going to give it to the chef i think the that we're a chef driven company right sure i think that the food is very important part of what we do because in the restaurant business in my opinion having worked from the east coast to the west coast and worked overseas the restaurant business is pockmarked with mediocre restaurants People who just order from their distributor, they re-thermalize the food, they put it on a plate, and they send it out. I see that every day. In fact, I see some of the better burger chains. They Burgers come in pre-made, they slap it on a metal top, and they put it on a pre-made bun and send it out. We're an absolutely scratch house. I mean, we make our own mayonnaise. I mean, how many insane people make their own mayonnaise? And we make our own everything. Well, we any don't. Good, any good restaurant makes their own mayonnaise, sir. Right. Okay. So there's at least two that I know of in the world that do it. So anyway, um, so having said that, I think the food's an important part. The bar, 
was something that uh, we want to be in the bar business. We, we have a significant commitment in real estate to the bar. And, uh, of course, without, you know, I don't think I'm telling anyone any secrets. The margins in the bar are much stronger than in the, in the food side. And we, we pour a great cocktail. We, we do pour a strong cocktail. And uh, we have a strong wine program that's priced well. And we have a strong beer program. So I think you're right when you say when people think about that, they embrace the bar and they love the bar and the bar does very well. Um, but I, I think in our bones, if you were going to, if you know, if I'm quietly sitting in a room, I'm thankful that we have amazing food on the plate. Yeah. And chef, how do you kind of define the food that you serve at local kitchens? Um, I mean, what I think we, we started with, the you know, with, the with a different business plan, you know, when we, uh, we thought about local, but, um, but I think it became, so it, it became really this ne- it's neighborhood restaurant mm-hmm. really. And that's why I think the bar is so successful because it's, it's a more friendly environment and, uh, you know, uh, more casual, I would say. And, and, uh, you know, and we, uh, and we noticed that and we kind of, uh, modified, Mm-hmm. The, the the menu offering since you know since we first opened mm-hmm. and uh, we drive you know um, we do a lot of we have a snack section for the bar I mean but you know we do a lot of uh, uh, sharing uh, sharing appetizers and snacks um, but <clears throat> I would define the the cuisine it was uh, I would say it's um, it's a very eclectic menu. Mm-hmm. With a Mediterranean flair, there's no doubt about it, and I think that comes from you know my background because you know I'm I'm a full blood Portuguese, born and raised in France, um, worked in the South of France, Lyon. I mean, a lot of a uh, lot of good region uh, in Europe, and um, but you know mostly we are you know what defines us it, it's uh, it's what we do and how we do it. Well, and I think. So much of the food in the woodlands can be kind of samey. There's certainly any number of chain restaurants that have done very well financially there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. You're hewing a more independent path. You have two years now as a track record. Are there ingredients or dishes that you tried to introduce that you just couldn't get traction on? Or or has your clientele been pretty open to your ideas? Um, I think there are, there, I mean, there are, Getting more and more open to some um, more um, eclectic, you know, uh, items that we have on the menu. Um, although, you know, we got to say that um, Woodlands is not. I mean, it's not Houston downtown or inside the loop. You know, our our clientele is uh, very family oriented. So we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of kids coming with their, you know, their parents, grandparents. So we got to have to. Uh, uh, we have a wide offering and a more um, conservative offering. So we, you know, because at the end of the day, I mean, we got to be in business to uh, to be creative, right? Right, right. You have to be open to, you know, you can you can have the one dish that you really love on the menu if it doesn't sell very much, as long as the five other dishes are, are moving. I guess. Yeah. So so let me jump in on that. So we struggle with that, right? Because you know Adele is a French trained, classically trained chef. And I also, you know, walk in those same shoes, although I'm not a chef. But you have to give the guests what they want. And whether we're in the woodlands or some other place, you know, regardless of what you try, some dishes are going to work and some dishes don't work. 
and they're favorites. I mean, I would tell you the heart of our company is built on a, on a wood grill burger, and one of our most popular dishes at Fielding's Local is a burger. And they love it. It's on a brioche, and it's 44 farms, and it's grilled over Texas pecan and oak, and it's just amazing. you got to give guests what they want, regardless right. of where you are. Which I suppose brings me to Fielding's Rooster, there's a part of me that's a little bit sad that you didn't name it fielding something else. Like what? Give us an idea. We're open-minded. I don't know. It rhymes with flock. Yeah. That, that came up many times. That was the first name. And as Adele said. I mean, we went through, you know, a thousand names, I think. Yes. It would <laughs> yes. be a good companion to Paul's Outburger. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. But a synonym for rooster. Anyway. Right. But, when did you decide to open? After the, How did you decide that chicken would be three, would be the third Fielding's restaurant? Yeah, so uh, we didn't decide. What happened was an opportunity presented itself, and we weren't looking to do that concept. A space came available, and we said, man, here's an opportunity for us to build a restaurant and save a little bit of money on build-out. Now, having said that, that turned out not to be the case because we had to gut that restaurant. I'm going to not go into that. But anyway, uh, so we have – we love Wood Grill, right? We love our restaurants. Maybe that's self-serving to say that or bias. But uh, Well, you should be proud of the work yeah. that you do. I mean there's yeah. no yeah. no shame in that. Yeah, and so uh, we saw a hole in the market. Really, Adele is the one who saw the hole in the market. And said, you know, let's do a chicken concept. And we do have other fast chicken concepts and fast food chicken concepts. And But we have nothing that's full service. And Adela, we've been from one side of the country to the other eating fried chicken to come up with these menus. And he's been working on it. I think in just a few days, I tried something like 25 different fried chickens that he had done. And some of them were so spicy that my head nearly blew off, which I kind of enjoyed. Um, so that's how it came to be. There was, it, it was never contemplated in our original business plan. This opportunity seized it, uh, presented itself and we seized that opportunity and we have a good team and we have a good infrastructure. And so we were able to move in that direction quickly. So then Fielding's Rooster provides a dedicated home, I suppose, for the rotisserie chicken that's on the menu at Wood Grill. And it sounds like fried chicken is part of the concept. Mm-hmm. What else is going to be on the menu? I'm going to let Adele answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say that uh, Rooster was actually, I think, I mean, like I said earlier, uh, I think it's gonna, it became, it, it, it is a spin-off of with Grill because our chicken was so popular. So our first thought about, you know, doing Rooster was to, uh, to uh, have a rotisserie, a wood, a wood, wood fire rotisserie as a main um, main piece of that concept and that's what we have now you know you enter the restaurant right on on your right inside you have uh, you have the wood burning rotisserie right there so this is the first thing that people are going to see when they enter and they're going to smell as well uh, but we just we didn't want just to be uh, a rotisserie house or a fried chicken house like a lot of concepts uh, in the nation you know which is i mean we follow we follow the uh trends well, we, we, yeah, I mean, we travel a lot, I mean, for market research and, uh, and we do, and we, we know what's, 
we know what's working, what's trendy, and uh, I think the ch- chicken concept, it's a trend. It's a trend right now. And So are there a couple of restaurants in other cities that inspired what you're doing at Rooster? Uh, yeah, there's um, Marcus Samuelson in New York, which is Street Bird, I think. It's a rotisserie concept. Um, there was uh, Parsons and mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, Butter chicken in Chicago yeah, was very good. Chicago, we did Chicago, New York. And, and then uh, cold water in San Francisco and uh, a couple of other places. I mean, we, we go to so many restaurants, it's hard to... It, we could have brought you the list. We didn't think to but bring we, the list. But we didn't want to be... Um, want to be unique. We didn't want to just to be in a, in a rotisserie market or right. in a fried chicken market. So on the menu, we have... Uh, you know, we have more than that. So we have a chicken liver mousse. You know, we mm-hmm. have um, a kung pao, chicken wings. Which is amazing, by the way. Um, we have a butter chicken, so, you know, Indian curry, spicy chicken served with naan. Uh, we also have, a, you know, a great offering of, you know, veg- vegetarian dish and vegetables. And, uh, but basically 95% of the menu is chicken. And no burger this time? No burgers. No beef. Well, although Kerry wanted to have a burger, but I had to, we had to fight about it. <laughs> well, and it's right down the street from Woodgrove, right? If people exactly. want the burger, they can go down the street. Right. So I'll just tell you, I mean, so the thinking is, you know, I mean, because Adele wears different hats than I wear, not one better or worse than the other. I just don't want to have a veto vote from somebody saying, hey, I want a burger. Let's go over there instead of Rooster. Right. I'm simple that way. This also, I mean, one of the nice things about chicken is family style, right? I mean, you'd mm-hmm. be able to get a, a whole bird and to go in buckets and mm-hmm. the whole thing. Correct. M- maybe not buckets, but, you know. I love buckets. Uh, yeah, I love buckets too. But first of all, that one guy owns the buckets. It's trademarked for him. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, there you go. So box. And then yeah. we've talked in the past that you have a fine dining concept that if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. was called Fielding Standard. Mm-hmm. Is that still something you're interested in doing, or is that kind of on the back burner at this point? Yes and yes. <laughs> there you go. Do you think that there will be more roosters or wood grills before there's another, before the first Fielding Standard? Yes. Do you <laughs> well, think I'm that- going <laughs> to jump in because we don't know. It's just like rooster was never meant to be, and... You know, three, four years after we opened Wood Grill here, we opening Rooster. So, right. Uh, I know in the past you've explored real estate possibilities, points south. Do you still have intentions to come to Houston someday? Yes. <laughs> you like those answers, sir? So let me tell you, we we want to grow. Yeah, I, we want right, to grow. I, I should stop right. asking yesterday yeah, questions. Right. I should try it this way, Carrie. <laughs> What's, what's your plan for the next two or three years yeah. to grow the company? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Adele was very appropriate when he said, and apropos rather, when he said, we didn't plan on doing Rooster. We are very opportunistic. So the right opportunity presents itself with the right business partners, the right, peel of, right piece of real estate. We'll go, right? I mean, we, didn't, we carefully crafted the wood grill business plan. We carefully crafted the local business plan. We carefully crafted the standard business plan, and now we've carefully crafted, but in a much more compressed time frame, the rooster business plan. 
And we have other projects that, that we're working on. But, you know, we're a very small company. We have to, we can't miss, right? We can't miss. We're a small company. And so we're very selective about the projects we're doing. And quite frankly, our investors are very, are, are, you know, they, want, they want us to be careful, right? They don't want us to stumble. And we don't want to stumble. And when you come to Houston, the rents down here are severe, uh, significant. And so you got to be careful. I mean, the Woodlands has grown a lot even since Woodgrill opened. Mm-hmm. The number of restaurants has increased. I know double, double. And I know even in Creekside, there's new construction and a whole bunch of new restaurants that just mm-hmm. opened. Mm-hmm. Two. Do you see more possibilities in the Woodlands? I mean, would you would you do a second Woodgrill in a different part of the Woodlands, or do you kind of feel like maybe the Woodlands is tapped out? Yeah. So I personally, although I would never say never, I don't think I would do a second wood grill in the woodlands. I would want to keep it unique in that marketplace. You know, I think you only have to look at what Danny Meyer does in New York City. He doesn't open two of the same concepts. In New York City, he doesn't do it. Now, he's all about opening in New York City and having restaurants right next to one another or just a few blocks apart. And he visits all his restaurants every day that are in in the city at lunch. But... um I don't think I would put a, another wood grill. I mean, what do you think, Chef? <clears throat> I mean, you don't know because, I mean, the woodland is expanding, is expanding so fast too. So, I mean, yes, like we were talking about maybe doing something in spring, which, you know, right. if you think about it, it's not very far from, you know, the woodlands. Sure. Uh, uh, but it's a completely different area and, you know, it's getting populated pretty quick. So... Uh, as this um, population growth happens, I mean, there, there might be some opportunity for us to open another wood grill having or said a rooster. That, having said that, you know, the Woodlands is 105,000, 110,000 people with a strong corporate base. It is super driven. I mean, absolutely, you know, the, the mix of businesses has changed, but the heart of the Woodlands businesses, of course, you know, energy, energy related businesses. And so, you know, you got a much more robust, resilient economy in Texas and in Houston because we're so diversified. And as that energy sector resuscitates itself and continues to improve and learn how to make money at our current barrel price, anything could happen. Do you look at the dining scene in the Woodlands and feel like there's one specific thing that it's missing that you would like to put your spin on? Wow. You know, um, I love the Woodlands. I live in the Woodlands. I've lived there since 2004, Eric. I routinely and regularly eat at Wood Grill and local. I eat at a couple of pizza joints up there on rare occasion. I don't eat at too many other places up in the Woodlands. I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. I end up coming to the city to eat. You know, I mean, I harass Adele and say, let's I mean, go get some There's a couple of eat. other restaurants that are, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of doing, they have the same uh, approach about food that we're doing over there. Right. Uh, they are not, what I'm saying by that is they are not, you know, corporate and chains. Um, but, you know, you, you wish to not dine over there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to go someplace. So like, you know, we price our wine list to sell. But right? I do. <laughs> and so I'll give you just an example. So you can buy a bottle of, I'll, I'll pick an outrageous example for you, right? You can buy a bottle of Opus One at Fielding's Local 
for $264. You can buy a bottle of Opus One at the winery in Napa for $270. And you can buy it at the grocery store for about $280. So knowing what I know about wine, and I'm not saying I drink Opus every day, but that philosophy flows through on all our wines. Why would I want to go someplace and pay triple markup on wine? I don't want to pay triple markup. I don't want to feel taken advantage of. I want my restaurant, I want our restaurant to be full all the time because the most expensive thing in a restaurant is an empty seat. And so I don't, you know, and I drink wine. Um, so I, I have a problem with that. And then I don't want mediocre. I want, if I want mediocre, I don't, you know, so that I want extraordinary. And that's why I like what Adele does, you know, not that I want to fan that fire, but I don't want to eat average. Nathan, do you have any questions? I know we're running low on time. Yeah, since you guys have based uh, Philin's Rooster completely around chicken, are you guys picking a specific chicken for the, the protein? Great question. That's a good question. I'm going to answer that one. Uh, yeah. All right, my, my, my first thought was, you know, to uh, search, you know, a, a bird that's locally grown, right? Um, but, you know, I could, although we're working, I'm working very closely with the uh, Three Sisters Farm in Tomball, which is... Uh, uh, we buy the eggs from her, and uh, I talked to her about you know getting the chicken from a farm, but you know it's just financially I cannot make it work. So you know I, I did some research and uh, I um, landed with uh, D'Artagnan, so the, you know a company that has been in business for the past thirty years, and they uh, they source the chicken in uh, farms in Amish farms, small Amish farms uh, in Indiana and Illinois. They're all natural. Um, they are rock, Cornish rock uh, breed, and um, and they're air chilled as well, so they're never uh, dipped in a bath of water. They can meet the demand, and they can meet the demand. Yes. Cool. We'll find out if they can meet the demand. Yeah. We're gonna. It depends on how busy you get, right? Yeah. But you're. I mean, you expect to be pretty busy with this. You know. I mean, I hope so. We 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 have internal rates of return and IRR numbers we have to hit that, you know, if we're not full, we, it's not good. You know, we have to be busy or we can't grow. Right. You know right. What I mean? All right. Well, Carrie, Adele, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five, five quick questions. Are you ready? No, but do it anyway. We'll do it anyway. All right. right. What is the first restaurant you worked at? Goumar um, Goumar Prunier is a one-star Michelin in, uh, in Paris. Bobby Boyd's Hooligans, Baltimore, Maryland. Both equally reputable. Uh, the first rock and roll concert you ever attended? Bon Jovi. Grateful Dead 37 times. Nice. Uh, the best new restaurant, not one you own, that you've been to in the last six months? Best new restaurant? Yeah. You know, Eric, I hate to say The best that. new restaurant or the best restaurant I've been in the last six months? Well, I like new, but I'll okay. take the best restaurant you've been to. Not when you Oh, were. yes. Ritual. Took the words out of my mouth. I like Ritual. The best restaurant I've been to in the last few months, I, I hate to say it, it's been Uchi. You know, it's not a new restaurant. So. I know. That's why I said new. 
It's just one of my favorite places. Your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Russell Westbrook. No, that's Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma City. Close, <laughs> close enough, right? I guess so. God, I'd have to think about that for a few minutes. All right. No time for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, your favorite place to get tacos? Wow. Uh, Joker. Uh, uh, it's a term in France. You say that, you know. I don't have an answer for that one because I don't eat tacos, really. Um, Neither do I. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, in town, you said? Wherever. Your favorite place to get tacos. Oh, Big Truck Taco. That's in Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of weird Oklahoma City answers from you. All, All right, right. Fair enough. Uh, uh, wait, let's go right back to you, Eric. Where do you like to get tacos? I have a lot of places I like, but right. I like, like most Montrose, lazy Montrose people, I wind up at Tierra Caliente on the Sullivan. Sure. All right. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Uh, we can follow all of your goings on. Uh, it's fieldings.com, is it not? Yeah, fieldings.com. All three websites are there, uh, local, wood grill, and uh, roosters. You know, we're populating it with content as, as quickly as Michelle can put it together. And then, Nathan, we can follow you on Twitter at H-Town Food Junkie. I would plug your Instagram, but you stubbornly refuse to use it. That is true. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. And, of course, if you like the show, please write a review, rate it, leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with Ian Tucker.